This is Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about running tabletop role-playing games. Each episode, we randomly pick a topic on our D10 table of topics and discuss it. My name is Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And this week, we're joined by special guest, Caitlin Sanders. Hello. Hey, thank you so much for coming on um, coming on the show. Um, yeah, so Caitlin, uh, we've just met a couple minutes ago. Um, I think you and Andy know each other. Um, mm-hmm. But just by way of introduction, why don't you tell us a little bit about sort of your history with role-playing games and, you know, so what have you played, what have you run, all those sorts of things. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, for me, D&D was a way to reconnect with some college friends after I graduated. Um, we just started meeting up in apartments and having like little, you know, Sunday afternoon, uh, treat time. And then, you know, (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah. So we played, um, D and D, uh, 4.5 was our longest campaign. That was two years. Uh, but we also played, um, a, a game called dread, which, uh, had, um, a horror storytelling element to it. Hmm. And then your decisions sort of, um, uh, culminated in, in pulling from a Jenga tower, which added <laughs> this, uh, this sense of, uh, impending doom to your decisions. Um, but I've also played like a star Wars RPG and, uh, yeah, just interested in, in a variety of systems. I've never heard of Dread. Have you heard of that, Andy? I have, and it's on that list of games that sounds so cool. I'd love to play it someday, but never have. Like a Jenga pile as a resolution <laughs> mechanic. I mean, this is wonderful. If if you try it, don't let your cat or a small child <laughs> be in the room because all of a sudden everyone will die. Yeah. It just... <laughs> And uh, one time we thought we'd be really cool and, uh, you know, set the mood with candles and everybody was feeling it and it was super intense. And then my cat jumped on the table and got on fire. So kind of kind of crushed the mood there while we made sure he was OK, which he was. He was fine. Uh, but uh, we had to recollect ourselves after that. Now, I remember at the. And I think the time you were running your fourth edition game, uh, mm-hmm. I was also I was playing in a fourth edition game. And I remember you told me, correct me if I'm wrong, did you play from like first all the way up to like 20th, 30th level in that game? Yeah, yeah, that two year game we we legit did. And it was crazy. Like, we all sort of felt this uh, loss when we were done. Like it, it definitely went from like bumbling, you know, level one, I've got, you know, leather armor and a short sword to like, we were, you know, fighting gods and trying to create fate heaven. And yeah, yeah, it just it just like, like shot up dramatically <laughs> the stakes with everything. So I, I feel like that is, uh, I mean, that's a goal that so many um, GMs and players have is that mythical game of D and D where you go, you do the entire heroic arc all the way to the end. And mm-hmm. I have never done that. Like, a, man, I told my group at the time, I, I must've chatted with you at church or something like that about that. And I told them yeah. about that and it was like jaws dropped in there. <laughs> like, <laughs> Whoa, you mean somebody actually did that? Like, was that a like was that a published campaign was that like a homebrew was it a mix it was a mix uh, my friend Cameron is just a really creative storyteller and he was our GM really consistently through the whole thing and really made an effort to 
to just build it up layer by layer and to pull us in. And a few of us had characters die throughout. I actually murdered another character as a result <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of one of the, the turn of events that we had because I felt like he had offended my religion. But um, no. yeah, yeah, we just, I don't know, we hit that sweet spot of having a lot of fun but also taking it seriously. Like we all really were invested in, in finishing it. I mean, you have to be to go that long. <laughs> yeah, true. You know, and we'd introduce new people or somebody would be gone for a couple of weeks and we'd just work it into the story. Yeah. That's really amazing. Did you, so how did um, things wrap up? Did you all sort of like ascend into godhood or did you <laughs> just quietly retire? Like what was the, the character resolution? Yeah, yeah. They're so, all level 30 bartenders now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> One character did ascend to godhood. It was uh, Sparkle Blossom. <laughs> and uh, she became the goddess of friendship. Oh, and nice. it always had to be friendship. Uh, but, you know, obviously as her companions, she gave us certain, uh, you know, powers and, and responsibilities within her kingdom, which was Fey Heaven. And um, my character was a druid, had uh, the ability to turn into an animal at will. Mm -hmm. uh, they sort of magicked that for me because that got me to start playing the game. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I had a litter of kittens at the end who all went on to heroic destinies. Oh, and nice. uh, yeah, <laughs> it was it was crazy. Yeah. When you were uh, first introducing yourself, you mentioned something about being uh, like a co-GM. Like, so what does it mean to co-GM and what sort of, you know, how did that come about? Yeah, well, the whole thing was, you know, after this this two-year epic campaign ended, uh, my friend Cameron uh, was kind of burnt out and he wanted to play more than anything. But none of us were like, we can't live up to this standard that you have set. So we tried a couple different things. We did um, a pre-written game. It was uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen. Mm, nice. And we just like passed GM around and took turns and we'd each take like a chapter and, you know, we got reasonably far with it, but we kind of lost interest. Uh, Cause again, it just is hard to live up to the glory of past days. I've also taken turns that there was a, um, a Warhammer uh, RPG that we were trying for a little while where I kind of, took direction from somebody who knew the Warhammer universe a lot better than I did. Um, my husband uh, played a Warhammer for a number of years. Now he's back into War Machine 40K. Um, but, you know, that's a franchise that has such a incredible, huge mythology to yes. it because they've spread, you know, uh, between the the tabletop game, the miniatures game, uh, several video games. Like, it's just hard to... Yeah. to keep it all together, <laughs> especially yes. when you're just being introduced to it. So that was really helpful um, to just sort of like pick up the details from him. And I would hear something that like, oh, I'm interested in that and, and kind of collaborating on it. I'm picturing this scenario where you're like pronouncing all the names wrong and like, <laughs> you, know, like, you give it, yeah, there's like yeah. a couple super fans in the game that are breaking out in hives as you uh, like. Yeah. Well, luckily for me, Dante was 
the only expert on the the uh, 40k universe so at least i could kind of skate by with my sort of marginal knowledge of like yeah. the the legions and everything so and did that work out well did you enjoy it or were you um are you still running it we're not running it right now um we had kind of started it right before we moved um, we moved last year to Grand Blank away from a lot of our D&D friends. So that one kind of, we put a pin in it. Maybe we'll start it up again. Dante's been playing campaigns over the computer and I prefer to play like in the meat. So yeah. <laughs> uh, so I've, I've been on a little hiatus from D&D for about a year, unfortunately. Okay. Um, so I have a question. So I am about to to transition into Horde of the Dragon Queen um, oh, yeah. with, with one of my groups. Yeah. So did you, was there anything from that that you particularly liked or any kind of tips that you have <laughs> that I should know going into it? I felt like it had a really great opener. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 it stuttered off with a bang and our group decided that when we were building our characters, that we were all, um, either relatives or members from the same village to give us like a serious common purpose, mm-hmm. not just sort of the funny common purpose, like that we're all friends and we want to hang out once a week. So that was really helpful where it sort of lagged was there was this long traveling sequence that, uh, <laughs> you know, where there were like lots of little pop-ups events that they could trigger, but that weren't necessarily feeding the larger story. So I would say watch that part. And, you know, make sure that they stay engaged and that there's like enough nuggets uh, that keep them wanting to move forward. Yeah, I've been thinking if I could just have a dragon sort of pick them up and drop them in between spots. (laughs) I mean, that would be dramatic. Definitely. So (laughs) there is a dragon uh, in the title. I mean, I think you've got all the justification you need. Yeah, Yeah, sure. They'll just pop up everywhere. Why not? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So if you're uh, not familiar with how we do this podcast, in each conversation, we have our guest roll a D10 to determine randomly the topic that we'll be discussing for the next little while. So Caitlin, do you have a D10? Yes, I do. Excellent. Is this, uh, is there anything cool or noteworthy about this D10? Is this like a generic D10 or is this a special one that's been with you since, uh, since your first campaign? Oh, this is a new set. I had actually lost faith in in my old set. <laughs> it was uh, it was letting me down. I was playing this barbarian, and I was super excited to like hit and hit hard and hit again, and and it wasn't happening. <laughs> so I was like, well, maybe maybe it's time to try something out. So these dice haven't been used in a full campaign yet. They're kind of uh, green and gold, but uh, you know, I have high hopes for them in the future. All right, well, let's break them in then. Uh, can you give us a D10 roll and tell us what you get? All right, here we go. That is a one. A one. All right, everyone. The topic we will be discussing today is techniques to keep combat moving. Ooh. Mm-hmm. All right, Andy. So what does that mean? Yeah, so yes, we've learned to define what we're talking about, uh, lest we all just go off talking about our own little interpretation of the topic uh, with no sure. organization. Well, I think in pretty much every episode of this podcast, at least some time has been devoted to griping about how long combat can drag on if (laughs) you're not careful. Anything, any strategies you guys have or you've seen or you've used to avoid that uh, D&D pit trap of uh, 
the combat that drags on for 50 minutes and everybody gets <laughs> bored. So I guess why don't we start? Is this a problem you guys have run into in the games you've run? Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, we had started a Star Wars RPG um, and was super excited about it. And in fact, so many of our friends were excited about it that we ended up with this really massive amount of characters. We had up to 10 people showing up. Ooh. And yeah, yeah, it's just brutal to to dig into that. I mean, combat is a little different in that RPG. It has a, a special dice and it's hit or miss, or is it like a, a really good hit or a really bad miss? And certain consequences happen from there. But um yeah, you know, it, it sort of led to people just waiting around for their turn and not really paying attention to the other turns, which sort of makes the combat sort of halt and stop and people get up to get a drink or snack and come back. So, yeah, I think number one, sort of limiting the number of characters can can be just a very basic step. And that's hard because you don't want to exclude people, but... It, it really can destroy the you know the attention span and the ability of people to get through especially if you have more technical turns or if not everybody is as familiar with the system which the star wars was totally new for all of us so there's a lot of flipping through and like oh i've got this power you know and it's just like you know which would bring me to my second suggestion which is to have at least one expert at the table um yeah. I, you know, I was brand new when I started in college. I'd never really uh, played this sort of cooperative game before, but because there were other experts at the table, I could just run something by them and they would know like that. Like, you know, what is my, if I want to leap across the gorge, um, yeah. you know, how do you get a running start? How do you do this? And, and they would know, and it would just keep things flowing a lot faster. Yeah. Chris, is this a problem you run into in your games? Yeah, it, it is, um, although I'm developing some techniques, I think, personally, <laughs> to keep it moving. But uh, yeah, nothing to me is as uninteresting as sort of when you hit that point in combat where you're sort of just doing the same thing every turn until the numbers tick down. That's a lot of fun, like, in video games. Um, it's not so great when you have, yeah, five or six people sitting around a table. You're all just sort of like, okay, well... All right, now it's my turn. I'm going to just do the same thing I did last time. <laughs> right, turns into a grind. Yeah, just a grind. Um, yeah, and, a, and like we've mentioned a lot before, like the the games that I'm running are primarily at lunchtime these days, right? So we have an hour, so it's it's got to be pretty like fast with what we're doing, right? So you're, you're starting, you might only get one or two combat encounters in or just like a some sort of role-playing um, event in there and then you're done, Um for the day. So uh, one thing I've started to try to do is recognize when they've hit that sort of inflection point of like, well, this is just going to end, <laughs> you know, like we're going to get there eventually. Right. So either just sort of end it, you know, or I'll give them maybe like a group action, just sort of see if, if everybody attacked at the same time, would they defeat these zombies? Um, that seems to work really well. So are you talking about uh, like when the outcome of the combat is not really in question anymore and you're looking for a way to kind of wrap it up? Yeah, because, yeah, so when you hit that point, um, right, yeah, when it is just, like, there's no question about it, right? So if it's one goblin versus five level five players, like, you're just, there's no real, real reason to continue running that combat at that point. Yeah, so sometimes just to kind of thematically give it sort of a close to it, I'll just have them all roll at the same time. So it's like they're they're all kind of taking their last shot yeah, um, <laughs> all at the same time. 
you know, otherwise, um, yeah, keeping combat moving, like some stuff I'll just do, which is pretty basic, just like initiative tense, right? So like on the, the front of the screen, I'll have sort of everybody's initiative um, on there. So I can just kind of point to who's who's going when. And so they can always see who's up, who's on deck, basically. Yeah, basically whoever, yeah, who's on deck that can see the order. I'm not just kind of constantly having to repeat that. Yeah, and then <laughs> the, the cheeky trick that I've started doing is just every once in a while, I'll just start counting down, right? <laughs> so it's like if they're <laughs> waffling on something, I'll just start counting down from five. And it's like, you know, I don't have anything for when I get down to zero. But <laughs> <laughs> it scares them. Yeah, so. yeah. Keeps the pressure up, though. Like, because, you know, if you assume that you are in some sort of real world in which combat doesn't take a half hour, like yeah. a fight between several individuals might actually only take a few minutes in real time. Yeah. And your, your, your turn is really only like six seconds or 10 yeah. seconds or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is sometimes in D and D. Yeah. Having, having that, like, okay, make a decision. Keep it going. Got yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. This is certainly an issue in, in games I've I've run, I, I, one of the bigger challenges I think of GMing is avoiding the the combat slog. Uh, you guys have shared some a lot of great tips already, but I wanted to back up a little bit on this topic. And before we dive into more like nitty gritty suggestions of how to keep combat moving, what is the what is the place of combat in you guys's games? For when you guys run games, is combat is is it the heart of the game? Is it does everybody sit forward and get excited when combat breaks out is that is that where you tr feel like you're truly playing the game and if not where how does combat fit into your games is it something that like you'd rather not do if you don't have to when running D D in particular i guess the way that i treat combat is when you have you've exhausted sort of your diplomatic routes or your your other your other routes and then combat becomes this thing to sort of resolve um whatever the narrative action is sort of that needs to happen next right so that's a fancy way of saying like the skeleton isn't going to listen to you so you have to attack it <laughs> you know like so there's there's that end of it but then also you know recently in my game they just started to um they encountered a dragon for the first time right and so they tried to talk to it they made it very mad and then <laughs> they had to to resolve that with with combat so for me like the leaning forward is happening sort of you know throughout it in, in various different ways right so there might be a combat in which they're leaning forward and the same combat removed sort of from the the narrative and, and put in a different place might not have them leaning in if that makes sense right like they have to be invested in it as characters and players yep mm -hmm. caitlin how about you is are, are those big fight scenes the reason that everyone's at your game table or not necessarily? Like, how does combat fit into your games? Yeah, I think my experience, the more serious the campaign, actually the less important the combat is. Everybody is excited for combat, right? Like, that's why you, you choose your, your feats, your powers, your, how you build your character, because you want, you know, your, your role stats to, to fit with the kind of, uh, you know, either strength or constitution or whatever it is that you have invested in your character. For those characters or for those players who pick, like, a different sort of role they want to shine too. And they only really get the opportunity to shine if people are are willing to stay invested in the storytelling element. In a really serious campaign where everybody's focused and yeah, like trying first to talk to the dragon and then, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> the barbarian then ultimately... comes in and is going to attack four times. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, sure. Or or if people, you know, are are taking their their character development seriously and if you have a barbarian who isn't that bright or it turned out that we had a player build a gnome who only spoke under common <laughs> instead of common, so she never actually understood what the rest of us were saying and she sort of just pretended that she did and then she would go off and do her own thing and be like why is man mop running over there and stealing some horses we don't know uh it took us for a while to figure it out but only because it was a more invested game that we even bothered to like figure out yeah why why she was sort of kind of going along with us but then doing her own thing and sort of not really talking ever to us so that is an amazing feat of like of of role-playing honestly that sounds fantastic oh man this this player she had this um one character named wug wug and all wug wug would say was wug wug except occasionally she would like break out in common and be like oh whoops i you know uh wug wug (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) Like she, like the character had been putting us on the whole time and actually did speak common and we were just like, wow. it, yeah, it, you know, so the, that level of commitment, though, makes the storytelling real. Um, and if you're just in there to like hit hard, grab the loot and go, like if you have an all evil campaign or something, then I think that the, the actual uh, fighting becomes the center of attention instead of that that role-playing element so to imagine a really extreme way of speeding up combat uh what would you guys think of running a combat in D or a related system where uh, uh where a battle was treated the way uh any other skill check was treated so that instead of playing out the blow by blow maneuver by maneuver battle scene you were just like okay let's all add up our fighting bonus and we'll roll a die to see if you guys defeat the um raiding party of goblins oh it looks like you won so i i mean i may be overstating it but like throw in all your chips at once and kind of just negate the well it's my turn and i'm gonna shoot my bow or i'm gonna try this magic spell exactly would you guys ever you know resolve a fight that quickly or do you think that that would take something away from what you enjoy about the game yeah, in D&D, no, I don't think I'd ever want to do that, right? Because there, there are so many rules um, around combat, you know, and they're really, it is kind of a combat-focused system, you know, so it's like, if you don't have that as an outlet, right, like, you can't play an all-pacifist party in D&D, it's just, it's the wrong system to do it, and, well, I, mean, I guess you could try, but it's yeah. just like... Somebody out there is running one right now, and they're, yeah, and they're really they're, mad they're, at you. Yeah, they're writing an email to me that I won't <laughs> <Yes>. read, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, so a system like, say, Blades in the Dark, right? Like, that I'd be totally fine with doing that. In fact, I've done that, right? When, when we play, like, you know, you can just sort of roll to see if you defeated that that goon that you ran into, um, right? Because it's just sort of, it's it's a different, you know, it's just one of many sort of actions you can take. Um, but yeah, I don't think so in D&D, but I'm also, I'm not against it in other systems because it's like, punching someone is one way to solve it you know solve it you know talking to them is another way to solve it sneaking around them is another way to solve it right like you're you're just sort of yeah giving the players opportunities and options for how to solve a problem 
Caitlin, would that would resolving a combat that quick make your players happy or would they all get disappointed looks on their faces because they didn't get to use their combat feats? Yeah, you know, I think that there would be a lot of pushback, a lot of disappointment about shortening it that much. But um, one thing that uh, my group of friends tends to do is if something does happen really quickly or someone gets a natural 20 or a natural one, we say, you know, we put them on the spot and say, describe what happened. Like, how did you, you know, instantly kill uh, <laughs> this bugbear or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you know, then they have to go through it. Like, well, I, you know, noticed the chandelier and I just chopped the, the, the rope or I knocked down the door and it just flattened them or, you know, something that gives them the chance to, uh, celebrate it for a moment before moving on. So maybe it would work in that context, like how do all five of you, you know, beat the crap out of this bartender for <laughs> you know, not giving you the information you want? Like you could, you could resolve maybe, maybe smaller moments of combat that way. But I think when you're like coming to a head and facing a big bad that, that really would sort of take the, the uh, wind out of the sails of the, the characters who are, you know, amped about getting into that combat. Yeah, it's interesting you note, like, on the, the natural 20, right? Like, so if someone crits and you you ask them to sort of describe what happens, right? Like, they don't describe, like, well, I rolled real good, so they died. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, like, they, they're describing sort of an action, you know, that happened, right? And, like, to me, that's really fascinating because it's, like, when you get down to it, it's just a bunch of numbers, right, that you're sort of interacting with and enrolling these kind of random number generators now and then to see to mm-hmm. see what happens, but then the result of that is, right, like you're kind of giving yourself these constraints for describing a story or describing a narrative that's happening, right? And like people relish getting that opportunity. Andy, what about you, right? I want to I turn it back to you real quick, right? Because I, I know that you've run kind of more like Dungeon Delve, where it's probably a lot more just straight combat than role-playing, right? Like I guess, so like how do you, where do you fall on this continuum? I've fallen all over the continuum. I, I've never in a Dungeons and Dragons type game ever actually gone to that extreme of just, you know, resolving a whole encounter with one die roll without playing it out. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I've probably tried a lot of different things. One one thing I have been using more of, and Caitlin, I'd be interested to hear your take on this, because I know 4th edition D&D makes this an official element of the rules, is allowing like unimportant enemies to just go down in one hit. Oh, yeah. 4th edition formalizes this. It's not the only system that uses this concept but formalizes this as kind of the minion rules where for those like enemy goons that you know the stormtroopers or the the goblins that are that aragorn dispatches you know with one hit they they just have one hit point so it might be a challenge to hit them but once you do they just instantly go down so that i've i've started doing more of that in dnd you can't make everything a minion like that to me the exciting part of combat is figuring out whether you hit somebody and once you're able to hit, I don't really need you to hit it like five more times. Like that seems seems kind of boring. I mean, I'm I realize that part of D and D is about you know wearing down enemies with lots of hit points. But Caitlin, you mentioned playing Star Wars, and I remember a problem I had running an older edition of Star Wars that did not have any sort of minion rules was. The players would get in these fights with all these stormtroopers, and in the movies, you know, you just shoot a stormtrooper once, and it and he, goes, he just ah. he he screams, he falls <laughs> off of the chasm, and then you move on. But in the game, you know, the stormtroopers all had like thirty hit points. 
a blaster would do like you know nine points of damage per hit and i don't know there was fun intention in figuring out if the players could successfully shoot the stormtrooper there was not much fun intention in figuring out if they could hit it like four times to (laughs) wear down its hit points so i don't know if i'm making any sense but i would say um the minion type rules things that um prioritize the hitting of stuff rather than the wearing down of stuff is where i aim these days yeah so what about past andy would would past andy have said like hey we got all these rules we have to use all of them oh yeah past andy is like you know guys we're starting hour three of this combat uh you know uh well not well there's probably been a few combats that edged up there but um no, I mean, when I was younger, you know, I think most GMs, when they're starting out, are more inclined to, you know, follow the letter of the law. And mm-hmm. um, that means following, you know, using every combat rule that's in the system. And then as you get more experience, you start understanding what can kind of quietly be dropped or skipped over or speeded past. Thinking about that, about all of those rules, you know, one practical thing I have done is I really don't bother with most of the special case rules in combat. Um, If you want to do something interesting, whether it's bull rush an enemy or um, do a flying leap at them or disarm them or trip them or something like that, you know, I don't, I I really never pull out the rule book and look up what is the trip rule because there is a trip rule in the D&D manual. Um, You know, whatever it is, just, you know, roll to hit with the appropriate skill and if you did it happens the way you intended it to yeah i definitely do that too um i mean sometimes it's my detriment like like i had a a rogue who kept on tying people's feet together the first (laughs) the first time it worked real well and like you know everybody had advantage on them and stuff and i was like that was probably like that would have been like a third level wizard spell what they just did (laughs) yeah but i mean it's also just like in the moment like I don't want to sit there and look up like what what would happen if you tried to tie someone's legs to a chair. Just, just <laughs> you know, like yeah, let's just see what happens. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of the tools in the toolbox, right, to decide what to let slide and what to be a stickler about. Um, how many you know uh, minion enemies to have? Like if you have a sorcerer or a wizard character who's got like this really great uh, blast or burst effect that they, you know, have been really psyched about using, but it hasn't come up a lot because you're fighting bigger enemies where they have to get in closer and they don't want to do that. Having like a horde of rats show up and start, you know, biting everybody and uh, giving them the opportunity to take out like a dozen of them at once. Yeah, that that could really uh, pull that person back in. So I think that the choice between having um, drawn out scenarios where you're like wearing down the big bad versus uh, a whole bunch of, of minion zombies or skeletons or whatever you have to put in a little variety and you have to base it on who your characters are. That's such a good point. Yeah. Like, yeah, you, you have a huge opportunity as the GM to draw people back in based on what you, the encounters you give them. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't want to use it every single time because then everybody gets lazy and they're like, well, I know I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit like five of them. Um, but yeah, giving them opportunities to be a little trickier about it. Like, yeah, I'm going to, tie their shoes together this one time but next time it's not going to work because they notice you at their feet or yeah. something <laughs> like yeah do you guys ever dumb down uh enemy 
enemy decisions or actions in combat to specifically to keep a combat from getting too long. So here's what I'm here's kind of an extreme example. If you have a an enemy who can teleport around the dungeon level, uh, and I've I've had scenarios like this, the fight could go on forever if they have to track this teleporting wizard around the dungeon level. But that it's certainly what that wizard would do when he started getting low on hit points. Um, but I don't want to, you know, have, stretch this fight scene out into a long drawn out slog. So I might just have the wizard not use his powers in the way that would be best for that uh, enemy to use. Do you guys ever dumb down enemy tactics or you have the enemies just decide to charge instead of um, going off and setting up some complex situation just because you knew it was going to draw out combat too much if you didn't? Yeah, probably too much. I think I kind of wimp out when when faced with <laughs> with like my players, and it's like, well, I could use the breath weapon against you at first turn, but <laughs> I feel like I should maybe give you a second. You know, um, yeah, it's hard, right? Because like you want, I think if you played aggressively, you could probably kill any party pretty fast with just about anybody, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, yeah, because you also have more information than they do too. Yeah, so I definitely do sort of pull back and I will often sort of ramp up each encounter a little bit, right? So if they if they manage to survive the first turn, then the second turn is going to hit a little bit harder um, just so it's not just like I'm coming out guns blazing. This this concept reminds me, have you heard of Tucker's Kobolds before? I don't think so. Please explain. Okay, so this is something that I've run across in various D&D forums. It's this uh, probably apocryphal like story. Um, about these these kobolds, right? Like, so the the way you play them, Tucker's kobolds, is like you play them as like super smart kobolds who like really understand their their situation. So exactly what you're saying, like with that wizard who can teleport around. So like these these kobolds have like traps totally set up. You know, like they they know the ins and outs. Like there's various mazes and stuff that can get you lost in. Like they're just like super aggressive, super smart. You know, like kobolds, right? So they're they're not very like high hit points or anything like that, but they just have um, so much more knowledge than the player, and they're just a lot trickier and stuff. So it's just this concept of like yeah, taking something that is something that has kind of no real threat when you see it, but just making it like the most deadly thing you can <laughs> you can possibly encounter, right? So I think that's that's sort of like the swing, right? Is like yeah, the, the kobold who just comes up to you with a short sword and is like, ah, you know, or this, these ones that like run away and set up a trap that's going to kill kill you. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, running away is a thing I really don't use much. And I I, I kind of wish I, I wish that I would use it a little bit more. But I mean, there's an awful lot of combats where if this were to play out realistically, the enemy would would pull back. They would, you know, leave. They would go hole up in a room and barricade themselves in, you know, they would do something other than just fight mindlessly to the death. Um, <laughs> I do, you know, I, I try to have enemies behave somewhat realistically, but uh, personally, you know, if I see that this would extend the amount of time, we're just kind of rolling to hit, but by more without adding a lot of fun, I usually just have the enemies like, all right, you know, they're not gonna, they're not gonna pull back and make this a long drawn out affair. If I'm going to nerf anything, I think it's it's got to be hit points because you don't want to decrease the threat level so much that they, you know, catch on that, uh, oh, this is actually going to be an easier encounter. And, you know, you can't, like, take all the fun away from yourself either, right? Like, you've spent an hour or two at least uh, 
you know, reading the source material, setting up different scenarios, like if they do this, if they do that, how am I going to react? And, you know, if like you have this wizard with this really awesome power, like make them think their way out of it. Like, you know, if they're struggling with tracking, um, you know, maybe have them roll uh, insight or knowledge or something or set up a trap encouraging them to think creatively about it or even having the party run away. Like that's not something that occurs a lot in D and D because obviously you want to smash it till it's dead and then take its loot. That's, that's how D and D works. But like um, when we played the star Wars campaign, we, we were like uh, uh, doing a little raid or something and um, we set off an alarm and this you know, massive troop ship shows up and <laughs> like, you know, you, you, you can't win against like, <laughs> like uh, this, this huge Imperial starship showing up with thousands of troops on it. Like, and you're a party of 10, you know, even if you have the force, like, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> like you're going to, you're going to be, you know, shot to oblivion. So, um, yeah, giving, Give, being a little more willing to give the characters creative ways to get out of it, but not necessarily nerfing the powers. Or, you know, if they do, like, manage to get in, like, a good hit or two, increasing the damage that they have done or decreasing the number of hit points gives them that sense, you know, that, that they're still on the winning side without, you know, totally taking away the fun of having a sweet, like, you know teleporting wizard or, or whatever it is <laughs> yeah this make that makes me laugh a bit because uh in a very recent game i ran uh the players were really expected by the scenario to flee from a combat encounter that was supposed to be overwhelming and <laughs> i watched as mm -hmm. round by round went by and they they were just digging in deep they were digging in deeper it's like <laughs> like four owl bears show up <laughs> exactly and what do you do oh i'm gonna hit it with a slingshot yeah <laughs> it's it's not gonna go anywhere so did they die like they, what did you do they didn't they they pulled it off legitimately um hmm. i you know they through a combination of lucky rolls and and pretty good combat positioning i i uh i was getting nervous because I, I don't really want to nerf this encounter and uh let him off you know it's supposed to be a tough encounter but um yeah. i was i was relieved that they pulled it off i guess that's part of what D D is is having the players is not going easy on your players and then letting them surprise you by, uh, you know, getting through your deadly encounter. Yeah. Well, have you ever uh, had a TPK or been tempted to just kill them all or let them all kill themselves, like, in one session? Or, like, everybody has to re-roll next week? I don't remember the last time I've wiped the entire party. It's been a long time. It almost never happens. I've yeah. certainly had... People I mean, it really—it's yeah. a real bummer for the, for the yes. players. You yes. know, it's a bit demoralizing, but there are certain situations in which, like, it could legit happen. Especially if you think that they're gonna run from the four owl bears and they don't. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is do you do you uh, kill off all your characters? You know, it's this question that's fraught. You know, of course, by the rules, you know, players should suffer the consequences of their mistakes um, or their hubris or whatever it is. 
Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's all these like metagame considerations like, oh, man, (laughs) you know, we're like a year into this campaign and we're just going to have to start over, you know. Um, Hey, I wanted to take this conversation in a slightly different direction and ask uh, when it comes to kind of speeding up combat. Um, do you guys how to what extent do you rely on players to help you out with that? And do you have any expectations for your players that they'll come to the table, like having knowing how combat works, so, you know, and do you expect that they figure this out? Do you help them out with handouts or, um, you know, do you how do you help your players speed through combat? Well, a useful tactic that my group has done before is um, if you come prepared, you get inspiration. Um, you know, so it's just a, a plus one to any given roll or a re-roll or whatever it is, like well, a prize, basically, for having read the little the little blurb that you're supposed to read on the on the Facebook page or, or um, you know, having your character sheet done and inappropriately leveled up before everybody starts that can be really good. I've also served in a supporting role as the person trying to like keep everyone on task, you know, especially if you're good friends and you're trying to catch up as well as play, it can, it can get a little out of hand. So saying, okay, you know, you're next, right? Like, what do you do? Or just sort of prompting so that the, the GM isn't just sitting there like, waiting for everybody to stop talking so yeah so having having uh somebody in the group have your back can be really helpful in in keeping uh combat on task i love that idea of awarding inspiration if the player comes to the table with their stuff figured out yeah because how many times has someone been like all right i'm going to cast this spell and then you the gm have to like look it up to see what the radius is and what the save is against and that sort of thing yeah that's a great idea you let people know hey if you have your if you have your stuff figured out you'll get a little bonus for it how about you chris do you um, how do you encourage your players to kind of keep it moving along i think what i'm hearing is i should be harder on my players (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't i don't really expect anything of them i have you know players who ask what they're supposed to roll every time it's like that's fine like i don't (laughs) i don't really care when it comes down to it um yeah i think because for the the most part i think my players are are generally invested right like they're they're all busy adults so they wouldn't be showing up if they didn't want to be there's rarely someone sitting at the table who doesn't want to be there because they have any excuse they want because they could just say that i have to go work for like you know keeping combat moving like i mean yeah i just sort of expect them i think to to sort of understand what's going on a little bit and ask questions if they have them but i'm fine if they ask the same question over and over yeah i remember you know earlier in my gm days i used to you know email out the combat rules to people and i had this naive hope that everyone would come to the table having read the 15 page rules about combat and you know that hope was quickly dashed um (laughs) well that's why you bury an easter egg in the email right my my friend Cameron is famous for doing this. He'd be like, well, the first person who shows up on time and, you know, rubs my head for luck gets inspiration. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. just to, <laughs> something weird that shows that you read all ah. the way through the email. That's <laughs> so, great. You know, yeah. And once people catch on that there's Easter eggs in the email, then they really are motivated to get through all the pages. 
I tried once a couple months ago. I should maybe try it again to get people to roll their um, their two hit and their damage dice at the same time. Right. The thought being that if you hit, then you just <clears throat> you have your dice like already rolled rolled in front of you like that. Um, and it just didn't work. <laughs> like, <laughs> just it, yeah. it didn't take. Um, and the thing is, like, if you if you think about it, it could save you a huge amount of time throughout the session if everybody just had that all kind of rolled up right in front of them. But it's just like it just it would not connect <laughs> see i would have a problem if you if i were playing in your game and you had that rule because it would it would just be wrong if i rolled both dice and i missed uh-huh. but i got a great damage roll i would have <laughs> wasted that damage roll and it would have yeah. been your fault chris yeah uh, and then every session would be me explaining statistics to you over <laughs> Well, you're fighting the superstition of the dice there, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, I just wasted the 120 that I'm going to get this yeah. whole dang <laughs> time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can I can see that. I've been in a couple of con games where to help um, sp- speed things along, like the, the con GM would put a big paper out with, like, the shape of the dice and what it's called and, <laughs> like, other incredibly basic stuff to head off that, like... Which one is the D20? Uh, no, that's a D12. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, we should probably be wrapping up this soon, but yeah. I wanted to um, I wanted to ask one other thing. We There's this whole other element of combat that we haven't touched on, and I was wondering if you guys could briefly comment, do you use miniatures in your combats, and do you find that doing that kind of helps keep combat focused and moving along or not? For technical D&D combat, we've tried it both ways. Obviously, the 5th edition uh, has a a greater emphasis on just sort of like the GM's spatial awareness and less on uh, miniatures. But I find that miniatures give focus, particularly when you have powers where you need to be close to something or bursts or blasts, you know, instead of just constantly asking the GM, well... You know, can I do this? Can I do that? How close am I? Like everybody visualizing it on the center of the table, you know, on the the grid really does speed things up and keeps everybody invested, you know, and, you know, you sort of develop a, a little fondness for your little miniature, right? Like I always, you know, I need this one. This one's me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> How about you, Chris? Um, would, do you have that experience too, that miniatures help keep people kind of focused and get rid of those constant, like, where am I again type questions? Yeah. Like I, I play, I typically play theater of the mind for the most part. Um, and that's <clears throat> more to my detriment, I think, than anything. Cause it's like, you do get the questions quite a bit like, okay, where is everybody? And I'm sort of keeping that state, um, in my head, like partly, I think I like that to, to do that and sort of re-explain it and get it back out on the table over and over like that. Um, however, like I have run a couple of combat encounters for sort of like the big set piece sorts of things. Um, and I did use miniatures for that and it felt like a very different tone of combat, um, at that point. So it's something I need to explore a little bit more. I mean, partly it comes down to just like, I don't want to have to draw maps or keep maps around (laughs) and, you know, find Mm -hmm. a bunch of miniatures and like do that whole thing. But I should really just do it because it's, it seems like it's uh, generally useful. Dry erase boards are your friend. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, I just need to, you know, invest some time into it, but like, it's sort of, it's like, it's working right now. So I don't have a huge motivation to change. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you always use minis, Andy? No, not always. But um, in the last, um, in the last five or 
or so years, I have started using minis almost 100% of the time. Um, you know, it, it, like you, it's kind of situationally dependent. Sometimes uh, it's just much simpler to run a particular combat scene without hauling out the miniatures. But some, I do think that there is a lot to what Caitlin says. When you've got your miniature out there, and it gives you something to look at and um, to think about while other people are taking their turn, kind of keeps your attention on it. You know, it gets rid of those questions of like exactly how many feet away am I from it? Will it fit with inside my fireball radius? That sort of thing. So I think there's something to that too. I don't have a like definite answer like yes, miniatures definitely save time in combat or no, they don't. It just, it varies. So. Yeah, I have a player who actually um, got one of his his miniature 3D printed nice. from Hero Forge. I think that's oh, yeah. the, the company. Yeah, so he designed the whole thing and then got it printed out. I was like, you know, that's actually pretty cool. So he came to the table the first time and he's like, this is my character and like set it down <laughs> on the table when we pass it around. Um, so that was pretty cool. I mean, like, because the only other times that I've done minis, it's been, um, you know, pieces of paper, right? It's like nothing, <laughs> yeah. nothing fancy at all. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, we should wrap it up here. This has been super good. You know, Caitlin, so, thank you so much for coming on. Um, yeah. the, the last thing we like to do, and we warned you about this ahead of time, but you know, you can say no if you don't have anything, is we want to replace the topic that we just discussed with a new one. So um, we're wondering, do you have something in mind that you're just like, this is a question that I'd want to talk about again if I ever came back on? I don't have it totally formed in my brain here, but I guess some sort of question about how to deal with very serious consequences. Oh. Like, you oh. know, your character does something really dumb or you've laid a trap and they just barge into it and suddenly, you know, somebody has to start making death-saving rolls. Like, are you comfortable with, with like, springing that sort of consequence on your players or not? And what do you think the value is of that? That is fantastic. Yeah. That's a really <laughs> yeah. good question. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that one's definitely going on the list. So, yes. Yeah. That's a good one. All right. Well, again, thank you, Caitlin, so much for coming on. My pleasure. Yeah. Again, this has been Roll for Topic. I'm Chris Salzman. I'm Andy Rao. Remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. <laughs> <laughs>